welcome to a very exciting episode of a novel evening. My name's Danny. You can find me over on Instagram as Blotted Ink Books. And for this episode, I am joined by the absolutely superb Jennifer Saint. Her debut novel, Ariadne, was oh, Chef's Kiss, like Greek mythology perfection. And its follow up, Electra, has done phenomenally well. Um, She is such an amazing writer. I'm such a big fan of her work and I'm super, super excited to chat with her all about her novel evening. A massive, massive hello to Jennifer. Hello. Hi. How are you today? (laughs) Thank you. And you? I'm good. You're looking very sunny today. You're looking very like summer is still here where you are. It still is. It's a really, really warm, sunny day today. We, I've, in fact, I've just taken my kids shopping for like hoodies and autumn things. And I'm really feeling like a, a knitwear vibe. But no, it's still too warm. Yeah, so, so you look very summery. I'm feeling whereas I think I've kind of gone for autumn, but actually it's too hot for it. <laughs> yeah, wishful thinking. I'm really looking forward to autumn being here. I know. It's something about it. And I, as a reader, I feel like autumn is the time to like get cozy with a book. Mm, it's when I do it's when I'm I'm always drafting in the autumn as well it's kind of the way my schedule works out so I find it like just a, a great time for creativity and just yeah I think yeah in being indoors lighting a candle getting into that kind of yeah very cozy atmosphere yeah I feel like in the summer there's almost this need to have to go out and do things while it's nice Mm-hmm. You can most of it. it was in the autumn you can kind of you know slow down your pace a bit and that you don't have to go out every day you can kind of stay home like you say light some candles get some blankets in your case get out your laptop to start doing your drafting which is super exciting mm-hmm. um, yeah, like a time of renewal I always think even though I know it like kind of spring is more so on new year but I think autumn is when I feel like well it's back to school isn't it I haven't got yeah. out of that that cycle especially because I have kids still in school so it's like buy some new stationery get a new notebook write a new book oh my god I love it I love it and I have to say thank you so much for coming on to chat with me because I absolutely I adored Ariadne I loved Electra even more um (laughs) I didn't think that was going to be possible but I did um and obviously you've announced very very recently that your third book is going to be on its way is it early next year it'll be next spring it'll be April which is not that long away like we say it we're like oh April and I'm like oh actually that's not that far (laughs) it probably feels a bit further that you know at the moment when you're going through the process of it of it coming but I'm sure it will be here so fast and it's a story I don't know anything about and I know quite a few of the Greek myths and you know I was familiar with Ariadne I was familiar with Electra but Atalanta is one I really don't know very much about was that always kind of the plan? Did you know the three kind of women you were going to write about? No. So when I'm writing a book, I have a feeling like, well, this is the last book I'll ever write. Like I'll never, I'll never have another idea. Um, I know some writers are absolutely kind of like brimming with ideas and and kind of constantly keeping track of multiple projects. Um, but I am very much kind of I'm in the world of one book. I can't imagine a way out of it. Um, so while I was writing Ariadne, I mean, for a start, that was my first book and I had no idea that it would ever become anything. So I definitely wasn't thinking beyond that one at the time. And then um, I 
as quite often happens if you get a book deal quite often it is a two book deal and mm-hmm. um, so I thought okay well I will I will have to think of another book to write <laughs> um, I have to <laughs> <laughs> yeah now contractually obliged to do so um and it was there it was kind of like your lecture was well to be honest and we might talk about this a little bit more it wasn't actually a lecture he was there it was Clytemnestra and um, he was there um ready for me to write about and that became the novel that is a lecture and then as I was coming towards the end of that I think it's kind of as I'm kind of like emerging from the um from the chrysalis of one book then um then the next the next one is there so so far I'm kind of I think three books in I'm having faith that well, that's my process then, because I think you are always thinking, oh, God, other people work like this or they do it this way or they have these. Um, I, I, I did an event with Alexandra Bracken, who wrote um, Law, and she said that she has this like document, this word document, where she has this list of things she wants to write about. And she just goes to that document and, and she plucks them out and she like works it into a new book. Um, and I'm really envious of that of that but then I just think okay well that's not the way that I work so you sort of have to embrace the way that you do it I think absolutely absolutely I think that's really fascinating everyone has a completely different process Mm. how they come up with ideas and and for you what was it that drew you to Greek mythology because these stories are pretty pretty well known there's quite a few retellings what was it that really drew you to add your voice into the retellings that were being done so I'd always Greek mythology was just always a passion of mine. It's something I'd always loved from a from a really early age. I read a lot of Greek mythology. Um, I went on to study it at A level and then at university. In fact, I dropped out of one six one because they they didn't offer classics, and I heard about another one in Leeds where I lived that did. So I dropped out, worked for half a year, and then restarted my A levels just so I could study classics. So I'd say that it's like you know it's safe to say I was fairly obsessed with the ancient world and Greek mythology in particular, and. Um, and I always loved to write. And I, it took me really an embarrassingly long time to put those two things together because all through my 20s, I was like experimenting with writing different genres and nothing was sticking. And so I never completed a draft. I never even got to the halfway point of a draft. I had all these kind of sort of half-baked ideas that just didn't go anywhere. Um, and then I think um, I think it was like 35 or 36 when um, I decided when that kind of spark of like, hang on, these two things I love could come together. And it was actually when I was reading Greek mythology stories to my own children, when they'd got to the age that they were interested in it. Um, and one of them, I've, I've, taught, I've, I've said this so many times, but um, he never gets sick of hearing it. <laughs> I was reading Theseus and the Minotaur and my son said, oh, what happened to Ariadne? Like, where did she go? What did she do? And I knew it kind of, I, I thought, oh yeah, there are other stories about Ariadne. I've heard them. And I went and I looked into kind of all the different versions because when it comes to Ariadne, there really are lots of different ways her story can go. Um, and I just thought this should be a book. This, somebody should write this. And so I think um, maybe it could be me. I, do you know what? It's so interesting, that idea when you are a writer of you know if there's a book out there you want to read and you think people should be reading actually the solution is you write it definitely it must be daunting though because I feel like you know Greek mythology's had a real resurgence Mm. you know I've always loved reading the old tales again as a child I used to read them a lot but in recent years especially for kind of feminist quote-unquote takes on Greek mythology Mm. there's been a real kind of revival I think was that kind of intimidating when you're kind of writing or were you not really aware of that so it's yeah it's one of those things where I think 
these kind of tides come along, don't they? And sometimes I think you can kind of be swept up in them without necessarily like looking around and realizing um, what it is that's happening. And I think these, I guess it's kind of like the zeitgeist, this kind of cultural mood that, um, that affects people. But I think really, I suppose I'd always thought like, well, I was just kind of like a, a nerdy child growing into a nerdy woman. Um, and not necessarily realizing that other people really share that passion, that Greek mythology is actually not this kind of weird little niche um, sort of obsession, but so many people love Greek mythology. So many people are eager for it. And so I definitely, when I was writing Ariadne, I thought there is, there will be interest in this story. I thought, I thought, you know, I'm not the only person who wants to read this. I think that other people would want to as well. Um, and in terms of it kind of being intimidating, I think that I tend to, to feel like I mean it's such a wide arena mm. and I think that there is there is room for so many different interpretations and at the moment a lot of the interpretations like you said uh it, it's women writing these yeah. stories and going back to these like forgotten or sidelined or silenced women of Greek mythology and I think that that I, I think it'd be hard to kind of unpick that from things like the Me Too movement yeah. um again I, I suppose like another kind of tied in popular um, kind of feelings and attitudes is this idea of women reclaiming their voice and women being heard and there is that um, that mirroring of misogyny when we can see that women telling their stories now today about what happens um, in our current lives you can see that in some ways that is the same misogyny that is permeating these stories that we've been told that we have loved for so long that perhaps have shaped so much of our view of ourselves and the way um that society around us is and our worth and our value and actually we get to a certain point in our lives and we think no I still love these stories but now I want them to tell tell it in a different way I want a different angle on this and I think that there is so much space for that and I'm so glad that young women are coming across these versions that they have that these versions yeah. accessible and available to them and that we can go back and revisit these female characters and see actually who they really could have been yeah I, I for me when I used to read them you know when I was younger it was all about Perseus Achilles yeah you know, King Minus, you know, Minus with the Minotaur. And it was really the men. And, you know, it's actually, it was so easy to realise once you picked up books like yours, actually the women played such a huge role in all of these stories. They weren't just these kind of peripheral characters around the men, you know, the men, yes, they were having the adventures, but actually the women in terms of the politics and the, you know, some of the, the things that they did behind the scenes was actually so vital. That's, I think, what I love about reading them now because once upon a time, I think it was very, you know, Helen of Troy was just a cipher who got picked mm -hmm. up and taken from A to B and all the men did things. And yeah. same Ariadne, you know, she was just the one who allowed, you know, was an assistant, as it were. And I think it's... Really, it. Yeah, it's... And then you realise, no, they're not. They were active players in these stories. Mm. Which is, I think, something we're seeing now and realising so much more. And... You know, I said, I'm not familiar with the story of Atalanta as much. So tell me about her, about her story. Who is she? Yeah, so that was a, a deliberate choice. So coming from writing Electra, which I think is a story that of, of the ones that I've written, people will come to that with the most prior knowledge. I think the Trojan War in particular, so many people know a lot around this, those particular cycles of myth. And so... 
I really did want to write something that was that would feel um that would come as more of kind of a revelation to people I think that actually would be more surprising and that had me a little bit less restricted so I think I really enjoyed in Electra the fact that there was very much a story like a strong story framework there and it was a case there of of twisting it of just kind of showing exactly that story but from this different perspective Mm -hmm. um which kind of shines a light on it and makes you see it in a different way when it came to Atalanta I was quite eager to take a different approach and to have somebody who was much more open to like a really creative um interpretation because because that's exactly it I think you'll find that a lot of people everyone who knows anything about Greek mythology or even who doesn't has heard of Jason and the Argonauts but Mm -hmm. Atalanta was the only woman on board that ship and so nobody's heard of her well no. people have heard of her um you know unless unless you like you kind of really um uh, like classicists and people who are very into yeah. mythology um but yeah she's so she is this this kind of very elusive figure in Greek myth um and so it was it was really interesting having kind of come from something so rich in source material to have somebody that no I needed to dig out of, of the ancient texts and to actually uncover and excavate and kind of pull into the spotlight. Um, and it, it gave me a really interesting opportunity to tell a story that I think will will be very new to a lot of people. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I guess a very different process. Like you say, when you've got all these kind of very rich source materials, as you say, and, and stories you can draw from. But with this, I guess it's kind of a bit more free reign I guess to kind of develop this character and what she does and her ways of thinking yeah which um which was a lot of fun in fact she's kind of she's so mysterious that it's it's very possible really quite likely that there were actually originally two Atalantas and so two very powerful women very powerful heroines um who are incredibly independent and strong-minded um, who kind of lived outside perhaps the bounds of society, um, who, uh, one of whom was a, an incredible, kind of the most unbeatable uh, runner in the world, the fastest runner, and the other who was a huntress. And then at some point, these two mythologies merged and she became one. Um, that's that's one way of seeing it. Otherwise, it's possible that she there was just one and she was so amazing that different areas of Greece wanted to claim her so then she became two but I think it's quite likely that yeah that there were there were two Atalantas whose mythology is merged and so that kind of makes her um even more interesting there's kind of even more to find out about her that's why it's even more surprising that she's not more well known yeah that she's kind of been lost and I think you know it's, it's interesting um the sort of the definitive well there's lots of versions of the Argonauts. There's lots of versions of the Argonaut story, kind of ancient, contemporary, modern. Um, but you'll find that. Um, so I was I used um the Argonautica quite a lot, which I'm just just there it is. Yeah, so there's Apollonius's Argonautica. I was just checking. I've still got it there on my shelf. <laughs> and he doesn't include Atalanta, but he's he mentions because ancient authors would reference each other in existing stories and um, so he mentions Atalanta wanted to come on the voyage but she wasn't allowed because she was a woman and it would be too disruptive and so Jason didn't let her come so instead she gifted him a spear to take with her as an emblem so it was so I liked um the way that I could use his version of the Argonauts and their journey but to tell it from the story of the woman that he had written out of the yeah of 
tell it from her perspective rather and um, so that was that gave it a really a really satisfying twist for me kind of me you didn't let her board but I'm going to yeah oh my goodness oh my goodness I'm very very excited for this one just what you've told me here <laughs> I'm super excited and she said autumn's coming and that's your drafting time do you know what you're going to write next so I do know I'm I'm not saying it out loud <laughs> um, it's exciting it that you do know <laughs> I do. yeah I do I'm not kind of just casting around desperately going what will I do next no no I've known for a little while now Amazing. Amazing. I think that just, she sounds like an amazing heroine. Um, I love that the women that you write are, they're strong, but they are complex and they are emotional and vulnerable in a lot of ways. Um, and Atalanta sounds like a very interesting woman. I'm, I'm going to be very intrigued to read all about her. I can't wait actually. And spring needs to hurry up because <laughs> the cover is beautiful as well. I mean, all of your books have had outrageously pretty covers I think mm-hmm. this one might be one of my favorites of the three I mean everyone is my favorite so <laughs> they're really beautiful cool. they are absolutely it must be amazing when you open them up and you see them because they're so striking yeah they, they are spectacular and that's them that's Michaela Alcano who does who does all the covers um she is incredible she is so talented oh she does so many doesn't she that are just beautiful beautiful and I do love I mean obviously bookstagram we do like how books look on the shelf and yours are particularly pretty so (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is fantastic that's what we're here for and now with your novel evening I mean I'm kind of half expecting some historical characters to turn up but I could be completely wrong well, so I've thought about this, and you, and you might say overthought, because I do tend to overthinking um, most of the time. And yeah, I did, because I thought, well, so, you know, I thought if you're trying to think of kind of a, a literary setting in which you would want to visit, then I did, like, immediately think of the ancient world. And his, yeah. But the thing about, I think, if you're writing any sort of historical fiction, is that we really want to go there in our imaginations and to build that world around us and to experience it as readers and as writers. But it's a very different thing to actually physically go there and I think a lot of periods of history we would probably not want to visit if we got the opportunity I don't think they're always as glamorous as we imagine in our heads you know the palaces and things I'm not sure they were quite as we see it in the big Hollywood blockbusters yeah I think it could I think it could be like a little bit uh, challenging so yeah so originally I thought you know well if I could go anywhere that was kind of sort of literary based for for an evening then I thought well like surely I would travel back to classical Athens and I would watch um, a performance at the theatre of Euripides play I thought I thought like how I would go and see Medea because I remember learning about that um and how at the end when she's taken away she's like flown away um she's rescued the sun god sends his chariot the sun god here is her uncle father uncle (laughs) very complex familial (laughs) relationship oh my goodness (laughs) yes relation grandfather I can't remember how it all fits together and so anyway he he comes to rescue her on a chariot and I remember being told you know that they would do that on stage that they sort of had the mechanics to be able to to do that so I thought I definitely want to go back and see that and then I thought no if you went back actually surely you would want to go and see a lost play something that we haven't got anymore then I thought I would have to know ancient Greek. I would have to be a man. It's also not very sociable for bringing other people. So 
this is when I'm saying I overthought. I mean, I really, really overthought. So then I thought, no, you know, I won't go back in time. I'll be contemporary. And the other place that I really love, the other place, sorry, the place that I really love to go um, for kind of literary inspiration is Whitby. Oh, and then I was writing Electra in, um, so I was drafting Electra in 2020 during lockdowns. And when lockdowns restrictions eased, I actually, um, I'd been homeschooling my children for 12 weeks at home, um, going out of my mind by that point. Um, so I just took myself off for a week to Whitby and I wrote Agamemnon's murder scene in Whitby. Wow. Inspired by the atmosphere. So then I thought, okay, well, Whitby Abbey among the ruins, very atmospheric, very Gothic, very literary. And then that sent me down the road of thinking, well, Gothic literary retreats. And so I finally decided um, that I would go back in time. And oh. I would I would go to I would go to Lake Geneva with Mary Shelley, where she wrote Frankenstein famously. She went yeah. um for that weekend with Byron and Shelley, who are not invited. Can I just make that clear? They are no, not, not welcome. Okay. <laughs> um, and that was where she wrote what would become Frankenstein. And I, I used to be an English teacher. I absolutely love teaching Frankenstein. And I thought, yes, that is where I would want to be. Um, by Lake Geneva, indoors, the rain absolutely hammering down outside, having a competition to write a ghost story. Oh, the fact she wrote that, what, 19? Is yeah. Disgraceful, quite frankly, that a nineteen-year-old <laughs> can write something that haunting and creepy, and this lasted for so long as well. And it's just you know, it still captures readers now. And you say you love teaching it. I think it's so interesting that you know a nineteen-year-old girl wrote this story that's still mm. being told right up to this day, uh, and has inspired so many you know films and other books. And I'd love yeah. to ask her, you know, how do you feel about all that? <laughs> and and the way that it was so prescient in so many ways the way that she was exploring science fiction before that really existed and the kind of questions that the novel raises that are still very pertinent very relevant about how far scientists can and should go um I think is yeah it is there there would be I think there would be a lot to talk about absolutely absolutely a great great setting choice and great first guest you're not the first person to say Mary Shelley, but there's there's a good reason why, because she is fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she had a very interesting life, though. Extremely tragic. So maybe catch her before. Yeah, catch well, her in the, in the early days. Yeah, <laughs> Before tragedy struck. Okay, yeah. so we are there. We're at Lake Geneva. Who's the next person that you're inviting? Yeah, well, then I thought, so I decided to make the rule for myself that I would stick to female writers who are either dead or fictional. Um, because I, so like I said, um, think think about things a bit too hard. And um, I didn't want to pick anyone living <laughs> and currently existing. And um, because that makes me very anxious about the social dynamics. It's too real for me then. I think like a lot of writers, I am quite introverted. I love to meet people when I come out of my little writing cave. Um, but, you know, I don't always find it necessarily particularly easy. Um, and I think, um, so sometimes I was like really fortunate to go to Cheltenham Festival last year. Um, and there were so many writers there I admired who I did not dare say a word to. Um, so, so, for example, like Marion Keyes was there and she's been just like my idol inspiration for years and years. But I just looked at her from behind a plant. Um, <laughs> So, so I thought, why do no. I have an image of you as like a plant, just like <laughs> not, not in a creepy way? Um, so yeah, so I thought, so I thought for that reason, um, I'm going to keep it firmly in the realms of fantasy. And yeah, they're going to be they're going to be fictional or they're going to be dead. 
Okay. I don't. Also, real life ones, you could potentially have an actual dinner party with at some point. If you could oh, yeah. fantasy, you may as well go true fantasy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that as well. Um, so yeah, so I thought, well, this is like a kind of a writer's retreat that we're going on. Um, Mary Shelley's writing Frankenstein, which is incredible. So I feel like these are people that I'm gonna that I'm gonna learn something from. This is what I would want to do. I want to bring people together so that I can learn from their process. Um, so yeah, so I thought as well as Mary Shelley, um, that I would stick with the gothic kind of theme. And another set of books that really captivated me when I was younger, when I was a teenager, were The Vampire Chronicles and The Mayfair Witch Chronicles, all written by Anne Rice. So I thought, okay, if if we were if we were here and um, you know, Frankenstein's being written, what is Anne Rice gonna come up with in this incredible gothic literary atmosphere? Oh, it's gonna be something pretty spectacular definitely so I would very much like to see what she would create so she's invited amazing her and Mary as well who wouldn't want to watch Anne Rice and Mary Shelley like spurring ideas off each other yeah precisely um and I think you know although I, I'm writing Greek mythology I'm so inspired always by the kind of gothic tradition and I felt like Electra was a novel very much steeped in gothicism so yeah we're definitely we're definitely having those okay. um and so it will come as no surprise <laughs> that I would also have a Bronte sister um, okay um so I live in Yorkshire I live in yeah. Yorkshire um so I've been to Howarth many times and you know the wild and windy moors and all the rest of it <laughs> and seeing whether Brontes write their novels um so it was kind of picking which one to have. I suppose you could have them all. Um, but my favourite of the Bronte novels, well, it varies, but I, my favourite for a long time was The Tenant of Wildfell Hall. Yeah. And sometimes I think, no, maybe it's Jane Eyre. And I think, no, it's Tenant of Wildfell Hall. Um, and I'm not, I'm not picking either of the heroines of those books because I think um, <laughs> as much as much as I love reading about them. Yeah. I'm Would not sure. flies with them? Yeah, so I mean, I I think that the you know the the character of Helen in the Tenant Wildfell Hall, well, I'm, I don't know. I was going to say, would she bring the mood down? But I think the mood's going to be fairly low anyway. I don't think Mary Shelley or Anne Rice are, are very upbeat people. No, but I think they're going to bring they're going to bring a an element of the dramatic on mm-hmm. the proceedings. Whereas yeah. I'm not sure Helen would bring drama or you know. No. She's yeah, and um anyway, so I so I thought no, I'll I'll bring I'll bring Anne Bronte because as well, uh, I think kind of the reason I settled on her is because that that novel was so badly maligned in her lifetime, and her sisters hated it too, and that gives me like a great degree of sympathy for her. That I think they they begged her not to publish it because it was so shocking, so disgraceful wow. because she portrays um this very powerful. Um, image of domestic violence and abuse and alcoholism and you know the like the real gory visceral details of what alcoholism does to the husband um in the novel um so yeah so it was it was like incredibly shocking and like a real transgression at the time and her sisters were horrified and of course she's she she had clearly taken some of the inspiration from the real life family situation that they were in um so yeah so I thought you know she should come with us really and we should boost her up a little bit because yeah imagine telling her now being able to say to her you know this is actually what happened with the book 
Yeah, this I'm so fascinated by like great artists and writers who thought that this this work of genius was actually their ruin or their downfall or that you know nobody would ever be interested in it. And then after their death, they're so celebrated. I just you, you know you really do think like if only they could know what how many people their work has touched now. And I think Fran Bronte, I think she gets a little bit overlooked, and the tenant of Wildfell Hall still doesn't. Um, yeah, I don't think as much attention as Wuthering Heights and Jane Eyre, obviously. And and I, oh, I agree. I yeah, no, I agree. I don't think <laughs> it. it I, yeah, I think it it gets overshadowed, doesn't it? Whereas actually, it's it's a great work in its own right. Mm. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And she'd love the setting. She and I think she, Mary, and Anne would get on very well. Yeah, I mean, I'm creating like an extremely melancholy occasion here. Um, so I think to kind of to lighten things up, I have two women already called Anne. Um, and I would invite Oh yeah, you do. <laughs> I do. And um, I have a third, and this time a fictional, a fictional writer from um books that I've another oh. series of books that I loved. I would have Anne Shirley slash Anne Blythe as she becomes in later life, and um, Anne of Green Gables. Ah, Ah, that would bring a little a little bit more lightness to proceedings, wouldn't it? Well, so yeah, so I absolutely love these books. I think I got given Anne of Green Gables for it was like I think my tenth birthday, and it was the first book that I remember. I got to the final page, and then I opened it and read the whole thing again from the start, because um, I just I just loved it. I really really loved the story. But there's a whole series of them. And the Anne that I would invite would be from one of the later books, which would be Anne's House of Dreams. So, um, you know, Anne of Green Gables is like such a brilliant book. She's an 11 year old author and it often it takes her to kind of um, through her, through the rest of her childhood. She's adopted um, and she but she transforms the lives of the people that she comes to live with as much as they transform her. So it's really beautiful, really optimistic, um, inspiring story. Um, and so much about the power of imagination. Um, and when you get to Anne's House of Dreams, she's got married, she's moved away, and she develops all of these friendships with, with these other people in the new town that she that she moves right. to. And she like she meets this old sea captain who has this incredibly exciting life. And this is the reason why it would be this Anne. She's like, by this point, she's like a very, a very comforting maternal sort of presence, I think. You know, I'd like to have her there. I think she would offer you so many words of wisdom if you were struggling. Um, if if you like you were like we're, we're all here writing together. I think if I was having a hard time, Anne would Anne would be there to bolster me. This Anne, not the other Annes that I've invited, who definitely wouldn't. Um, <laughs> um <laughs> Um, but she writes herself. She's a writer. Yes. But because this is like, what is it, early 20th century, um, she's like, uh, that. I think Lucy Maud Montgomery is writing. It's kind of, Anne is a little bit dismissed. She dismisses herself as a writer. And when she meets this old sea captain that I mentioned, I think it's called like Captain Jim, he's lived this really exciting adventurous life. And Anne wants to tell the story of it, but she can't because she's only a woman and a woman can't tell that kind of story. So she finds a man to write it basically. Ah. Um, so I think I would have Anne along because I love her. I love her as a character. But I think I would bring her and just say, no, Anne, write your own story have some confidence in yourself and um, it's kind of it's very much like she writes the sort of romantic kind of um whimsical sort of fanciful right. um fiction but then she needs like a man to write the great american novel um and i think no she could write it herself she could do it and with you know with with you four authors as well mm -hmm. say you know you can do this i think that's a really beautiful reason to have her there yeah 
so yeah so everybody's called Anne which is going to get extremely confusing you're gonna have to have like yeah Anne you know Anna R and Anne B and (laughs) yeah we will (laughs) I love it and is that everybody that you would have at Lake Geneva no I thought one more person no, one two, more. two more sorry um I thought um I thought I would um I can't neglect the ancient world entirely um so if I'm going to bring somebody back my rule is these are all women this is an all-female writers retreat and um, I would of course bring back Sappho the ancient Greek poet whose work only survives to us in tiny fragments but the fragments that we have are so beautiful um that you know they exist almost kind of as complete poems in themselves because they're just these kind of dazzling little insights of of clarity and they're so gorgeous but anyway so we would bring her <laughs> um, imagine as well being able to ask her could you recite some of your work to me yeah we have the whole thing that would that would just be great yeah, um, so we definitely have Sappho um it's going to be very very confusing for her but we'll but we'll bring her along um and uh well now I'm sure she'll be absolutely fine um and then my final the final person that I would bring um would be uh again these are like all books that I've just been obsessed with through my life it would be Agatha Christie and oh. I would bring her so she could teach me the art of writing suspense um, because I absolutely adore Agatha Christie novels but I was always so impatient when I used to read when I was a teenager that I would always start at the end because I couldn't oh. bear, this is awful this is like one of my most shameful confessions and um, I couldn't bear to not know who the murderer was all the way through because her novels are so expertly constructed attention is too much um, but I don't do it anymore I'm glad to say I will admit I have on occasion if I'm reading a thriller or something and I I feel like the main character something's gonna happen to the main character sometimes I will have a look at the end just make sure they don't die or something horrible <laughs> happen because I can't deal with the tension as I'm reading yeah I don't deal well with tension and but... I do feel very so I live in Agatha Christie's you know at hometown basically I live very close to Greenway oh, uh, wow. which I've mentioned a few times but I have yet to read an Agatha Christie novel which I think is probably as close to blasphemy as you can get when you live in Torbay. So I really must pick up some of her books. Where where would you recommend starting with Agatha Christie? So, I mean, I mean, the most obvious one to start with, I would have thought would be Murder on the Orient Express, if you don't know how it ends. I haven't seen a film adaptation, so I do not. Yeah. And so it's kind of, it's quite an obvious one, but you know, that is absolutely one of my favourites. Um, I really, really love Sparkling Cyanide, which has got um, a very complex female protagonist. Well, she's no, she's not the protagonist. I think, I, I think it's a Hercule. No, it's, I can't even remember if it's a Hercule Poirot one or not. Um, can't remember which detective it is because it's it's the female character who is very compelling, and like I won't say too much about her because that would ruin the novel. Um, it has the most, I will say the most implausible twist in the way that they work out who the killer is. Um, it is slightly borders into the ridiculous, but it's just a really powerful story. And I, I just absolutely loved it. I've never forgotten those characters, um, like kind of three very, very interesting women um, who who sort of dominate that book, mm-hmm. um, which I really, really loved. And then I do remember that she wrote one that's definitely a Hercule Poirot one, as is Murder on the Orient Express, um, which is based on the 12 labours of Hercules. So it's oh. like 12 short stories, 12 little mysteries, um, and each one corresponds in some way 
in you know sort of an allegorical metaphorical way to a labor of hercules so that's a really good one for you know a bit of a crossover i think christy that's very cool i've not heard of that one either right i'm adding these to the list and i will make it my duty to read some some christy before the year's out uh, I think you've got a very strong dinner party with some strong characters, some really interesting writers. And other than obviously Byron and Shelley, who are not coming, is there anyone else you don't want to turn up? Well, I don't want anybody else there. Like, that is it. We're going to lock okay, the door. Closed doors. Once the party's in, that's it. Yeah, that's it. And like, nobody comes out until they've written something as good as Frankenstein. It might be I mean, that no, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> to everybody in the room. You got this. I think it's fascinating. I love it. You know, it's a real gothic evening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was definitely always going to go in that direction. Gorgeous. I love it. And Lake Geneva as well. I mean, it doesn't get any prettier. Even when it's raining, I can imagine it's beautiful. So yeah. an atmosphere. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, and that's going to keep everybody inside and inspired. It is. It is. And I'm sure Agatha would write some whodunit set in a cabin in Lake Geneva. <laughs> That is a good point. It could all go a little bit. <laughs> it could go wrong. Well, I'm sure it wouldn't. It sounds absolutely a fascinating evening. And thank you very, very much for sharing it. I love hearing your insights into why you've chosen these women. Um, and I think they'd all get on very well, actually, including yourself. I think you'd fit in well nicely with the group, which is, yeah. is very cool. Before I let you go and um, prepare for your, your event this evening, do you have a current read at the moment? Yes, so I've been signed at Proof, which is called The Book of Eve, and it is by Meg, well, so I'm not totally sure how you say Clothier or Clothier, her surname, actually, that's something I need to ask her. <laughs> but yeah, so it's um, so it's called The Book of Eve, it is set in um, a nunnery, where this mysterious book is left, it's brought in this kind of, um, this journey of this very dramatic evening these two women arrive in this desperate state they leave a book at the nunnery and um, and it becomes this great mystery as to why this book is so important why so many people want it what kind of power this book wields so I'm about halfway through so I don't know the answers to those questions yet oh but you're enjoying it yeah very much so Ooh, that sounds very intriguing it's kind of giving me a bit of like you know, like da vinci code and like when you've got something you know mysterious items that you don't know the the power of or the significance of mm. i i like the sound of that that sounds very yeah. intriguing and do you have anything do you know what you're going to read next because you do obviously i'm sure you get sent tons of proofs yeah so i have um yeah i have up on my bookshelf i have got um a proof that comes out in February 2023 and that is called Dazzling um which I think is so from what I can remember so this was sent to me by um somebody at Wildfire who are my publishers and I believe that this is um this is I think um a, 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 like a kind of a female centered retelling of African mythology so I think that one's going to be a really interesting one the cover is incredible and I've been sent the Secret Diaries of Charles Ignatius Sancho which has been all over bookstagram recently everywhere um it's coming out in autumn this year in october so i would need to get a move on and read it because <laughs> i am quite late with that one and um, but i've heard incredible things about that novel oh amazing amazing well enjoy and thank you so so much for coming to chat with me it's been it's been an absolute joy yeah oh, it's been so lovely to meet you and I'm, I'm glad we managed to arrange it eventually because we had many scheduling <laughs> we did you're you're a busy, busy woman to pin down 
all kinds going <laughs> Thank on. Thank you this. so, so much. Nice to 